evil Fauci. Goodbye. Get out. Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Who said this one? Americans don't want to work. They're too fat. They're too lazy. And they're too stupid. You won't believe who said that. And having a baby. Just how long do you need to rest after you have a baby? We'll talk about that coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We are live across Rumble.com, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch.tv. We are also a podcast. You can find us on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Look us up, the Jay Sheldon Show. Click subscribe. Thank you. It's free for you. Helps us out a tremendous amount. Thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, we've got a big show coming up tonight. We'll continue with our book, White Fang. That is on the way. And uh, we left you at a very interesting spot last New Year's Eve. Right now, it's time for a big Miko update. Oh, yeah. The Miko update. And uh, (laughs) she's had the best time over the last three or four days since New Year's. Uh, We've been out on walks. She's made new friends. There are lots of families that have come together. In fact, one of the uh, folks, one of her favorite boyfriends is Basha. And uh, Miko always, always stops by to say hi to Basha. Well, Basha's family, or grandparents, I suppose, uh, because their daughter owns Basha, but Basha's often at the, whatever. They stay together. The whole family was out, and family was here from the U.S., here in Malaysia. So they're uh, living, I think, in Boston or Michigan, Boston, something like that. Anyway, it was great to meet them. Good to see some folks from somewhere near my uh, original hometown in uh, Connecticut. But, uh, yes, so she's had a great time making new friends. And tonight, just a short bit ago, an hour or so, we were at Dessa Park City, and there is the Grand Dame Miko. Ichiko Mikoto, or Miko for short. She had a great time, and uh, this is her favorite posing rock. She This rock is about a meter up off the ground. She jumps right up on top of it. There she is waiting for uh, Dad in the store, uh, who's making a purchase. <laughs> uh, yeah, another posing rock shot. There, finally, look at the camera. All right. And then they're all decorated up there at Dessa Park City for the New Year, for the holidays, and now for Chinese New Year. So uh, she was uh, she was having a great time. She looked great, having a lot of fun. Oh, she had her light-up collar on, too. You see, that's a flashy light-up collar. And there's the old man of the sea with Miko. And, uh, yeah, she loves this collar, by the way. And people, she met so many great friends tonight, other Shebas. In fact, we were posing with some pictures here, and uh, a couple of a uh, group of little of uh, ladies wanted to take a picture with Miko. So, we, yeah, of course, Miko loves it. They, she loves the attention, and uh, it was great. It was so beautiful there. Really is a fantastic spot, and uh, Dessa Park City really does go all out. They they're above and beyond for uh, holidays, and they do a great job. All the all the folks there really are very respectful with their dogs. They keep them on the leash for the most part. They're cautious and careful. 
And uh, it is a great spot. If you're in Malaysia and you have a furry friend, you uh, you really need to explore Nessa Park City because it's amazing. Mm. And if you are the owner of a furry friend, you're going to want to check this out. It's our sponsor for the Miko update. BarkBox.com slash Miko is our link. And uh, this is it. BarkBox is a monthly subscription service. It's available in the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada. That's where they ship to. Uh, hopefully this year they will get uh, some international shipping. They're working on it, they tell me. But every month you get a themed box of uh, treats and toys for your dog. You can specify small, medium, or large when you order. Also, if your dog has any allergies, you can tell them about that. They'll make sure you don't get it. And uh, you get two or three uh, toys. They're, they're very cool. You know what? Do yourself a favor if you're, if, you're, if you're hesitating. Go to YouTube and look up BarkBox. And look at the reviews. I haven't done one. I should. But um, they're great. And you'll see the toys you get. You'll see how amazing they are. The treats are all natural. They're good for your dog. Get a couple of bags of treats and a dog chew every month delivered right to your door. And if you use our special link, BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O, you will get a month free with a multi-month subscription. You sign up for six months, you get seven. Saves you a few bucks off of the price of each monthly subscription cost and uh, your dog will love it if anything about BarkBox doesn't meet your satisfaction they will make it right they have fantastic customer service uh, uh, folks there and they will do their best are you ready let's see if they've updated their site to see what the January box is a surprise every month you and your dog a monthly adventure Oh, it's really slow to load today. All right. Well, we'll let it load there, and we'll see if, if they they must by now. It's January, so I'm sure they've updated their uh, their boxes. So anyway, yeah, you see it's not really loading very well. Let me just do a quick refresh. Here we go. Um, BarkBox.com slash Miko. Yeah, it's still season sweetings is uh, the latest one there. So do check it out. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the link. And uh, like I said, if you use our special link, you will get one month free with a uh, multi-month subscription. BarkBox.com slash Miko. All right. I want to, I got to set this up. I really hope this works. Our thumbnail headline tonight is the dangerous Dr. Fauci, who thankfully is now officially, if I'm not mistaken, gone. Now, somebody needs to do a Nuremberg-type trial is what they need, because this man killed a lot of people. Yes, I said that. Dr. Fauci is a complete freaking nightmare. Let me see if this is going to work or not. No promises, but we'll try. This is a piece of video. This doctor is, scientist, is the inventor of the COVID tests. All right? This is the inventor of the COVID tests. Let me... Whoa! We don't need the music. I hope this works. I can't promise you. But please listen to this. Guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face. Nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope. And if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. 
he doesn't understand electron microscopy and he doesn't understand medicine and he, he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people and they don't know anything about what's going on. If Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it because he's been asked. I mean, I've had a lot of people, president of the University of South Carolina, ask Fauci if he... Yeah, so that is the inventor of the COVID test. This guy knows from what he talks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, there is a link in our show notes, the top one. It's, uh, it has to do with this ridiculous Karine Jean-Pierre, who is probably the worst press secretary on the planet. This is from the postmillennial.com. And uh, Biden's press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, says Elon Musk's criticism of Fauci is dangerous. Yeah. Here's the quote from her. They are disgusting, and they are divorced from reality. We will continue to call that out and be very clear about that. Again, these are incredibly dangerous, these personal attacks we're seeing. Yeah. He, Elon put a uh, pronoun, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. <laughs> Uh, in a briefing Monday, address questions about Elon Musk's critique of Biden's COVID czar, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who now, thank you, is gone. Uh, Musk took aim at Fauci over the weekend, accusing him of lying to the American people, which he's done. Just take a look back. You'll find these little scope time capsules of the ways he has changed his mind and said different things. Forget the fact that he said he is the science, which is about as ridiculous a statement as anyone could possibly make. But even down to the mask mandates or the effectiveness of masks, which we all know are useless, from you must wear one, it will protect you, to it offers some protection, to it offers limited to protection, to it actually offers absolutely no protection at all. Jean-Pierre, the worst press secretary ever, said it was dangerous to criticize the federal medical official. Fauci's been at the center of COVID policy since back in 2020. He advocated school closures. He denied that, but he absolutely is on tape saying it. Vaccine mandates, masking for people to spend time alone on the holidays, been the subject of an investigation by Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, go Rand Paul, looked into what Fauci knew and when, gain-of-function research he suspects may have been a contributing factor in the emergence of the virus on the world stage. A reporter asked Jean-Pierre, as you know, Musk launched a series of attacks on over the weekend calling for prosecution and then shared some other memes about him, suggested he lied about and is lying about the origins of COVID, which I strongly believe is absolutely the case, uh, and asked for her response specifically uh, to the attacks on Dr. Fauci, and the second, how is your view of Twitter as a public forum for yourself, the president, and many other officials here? And that's when she made the quote I read in the beginning about uh, the attacks, personal attacks are dangerous. Yeah. 
It is not Saint Fauci, okay? The man is a criminal. The man is responsible for many deaths. And this has more to do than just the COVID virus, the pandemic. Look it up. Look it up. I'm not going to get into it any more than that. But, uh, yeah, it's just hopefully now that he's not in the public eye, although I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he'll do his best to stay in it as much as possible. People like him don't go away when they go away. Uh, Musk lied to Congress, funded gain-of-function research that killed millions of people. Not awesome, in my humble opinion, says Elon Musk. That tweet led to speculation that an upcoming drop of Twitter files showing the relationship between Fauci and the former Twitter content moderators might be explored. In fact, see, there's the, uh, there is the, uh, there's the tweet. My pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. The Twitter files with Fauci are going to be released this week, they say. Might be later today, might be tomorrow, but this week. And I am most interested in what's going to be in those. So keep an eye out on your Twitter. Follow Elon Musk. That'd probably be the best way for you to get updated because he always posts when there's a new batch of these uh, Twitter files come out. He's always posting uh, the latest and the links to that. So by all means, please check it out. And in my humble opinion, and I'm not alone on this, this man needs to go to jail. He truly needs to go to jail. All right. Hey, you Americans, you're fat, you're lazy, and you're stupid. No, no, I didn't say that. I'm quoting. But who I'm quoting is amazing. The founder, the co-founder, to be more accurate, of Home Depot. Not kidding. The Home Depot co-founder slams workers in a modern economy. The billionaire says nobody works and nobody gives a damn. He says it's a poor work ethic among laborers today, claiming nobody gives a damn about job performance in the present day economy. Nobody works. Nobody gives a damn. Bernie Marcus told the Financial Times in an interview last week in a uh, Jeremy ad against what he claimed were insufficiently motivated workers. Marcus mimicked them. Just give it to me. Send me money. I don't want to work. I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. The business tycoon claimed to the Times that his highly successful hardware uh, chain would never realize the same level of growth and popularity if he had started Home Depot today in this economy, in this worker attitude environment we're in. He said we'd we'd end up with 15 or 16 stores, and I don't know if we could go any further. Wow. Scary stuff. Articles from JustTheNews.com. This is the co-founder of Home Depot. We have Home Depots here in Malaysia. So, uh, yeah, they are, they are everywhere. But this guy says, buck up, buttercup. It ain't happening. What do you think? Are you Americans fat, lazy, stupid, 
Oh, my. We've got another story about the digital dollar. Oh, please. More and more countries. More and more countries are doing it. You are going to get forced into it. And I don't know. I mean, there is a solution here. Maybe not the best one for a lot of people, but it's a solution. If they eliminate cash completely and force you into these central bank digital currency crap, Orwellian nightmare, big brother garbage. You know, China, which has been on a digital currency for a while, I don't think exclusively, but they're headed that way shortly. I read a story about them putting a expiry date on your money. Mm, can you imagine? Forget savings. Here, here's a thousand bucks. It expires in a month. If you don't spend it, it's gone. You think about that. This is where we're headed with this digital currency. I have been complaining about this. I've been warning you about this for over a year now, two years almost. This is show 307 from almost the beginning. The end of privacy for Americans. Digital cash. Get out of cash now. Executive Order 14067. You heard of it? I'll bet you haven't. Little known order implemented the digital dollar, the most sinister plan to control you and your spending. And it gets worse. In November, the federal government and banks began a test program. We talked about this on this show to roll out the digital dollar. The government can now track Everything you spend, if you spend one penny, the government knows where you spent it and what you bought. They can tell you what you can and can't buy. They push a button, you're not allowed to buy that. Yeah, I know, everybody thinks immediately handguns. It's not just handguns. Oh, sorry, you've gone past your carbon footprint. You can't eat in that restaurant anymore. You can't have beef. You can't go to the grocery store and... And, and, and buy meat. You're not allowed. You're over your carbon limit. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. It's not only going to happen. It is happening. In some countries, it is happening. And you're next. And they can confiscate your cash. When digital currency rolled out in China, Bloomberg wrote, this will lead to control like no other. The EU has announced they're next. See what I mean? And it's already being tested in America. Now, this goes on to promote the idea that uh, there are IRS-proof legal loopholes uh, moving your money out of cash into gold and silver. Not a bad idea. At the moment, I don't see putting all your extra savings in gold and silver, but I highly recommend that you put a good chunk of it in that. But this is the kind of crap that is staring you in the face. If you don't get a hold of your representatives, your Congress people, your MPs, your representatives, and tell them, no, not for me, ain't gonna happen. Unbelievable. All right. 
enough on the digital stuff. How about universities? You're doomed. <laughs> this is from the Daily Signal. It's a really cool article. The link is in our show notes. I'm going to read the whole thing, but do check out the article because it's, it's fascinating. Are universities doomed? Well, in a famous exchange in The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway wrote, How do you go bankrupt? Bill asked. Mike said, gradually, and then suddenly. Gradually and suddenly applies to higher education's implosion. During the 90s culture wars, universities warned their chronic tuition hikes above the rate of inflation were not sustainable. Growing manipulation of blanket federal student loan guarantees, part-time faculty and graduate teaching assistants, always suicidal. Left Nowadays, unbelievable left-wing indoctrination, administrative bloat, obsessions with racial preferences, arcane, jargon-filled research, which does nobody any good, Lithuanian gender studies, whatever, campus-wide intolerance of diverse, though short-changed students, further alienated the public and enraged the alumni. Over the last, listen to this, over the last 30 years, enrollments in the humanities and history crashed. So did tenure-tracked faculty positions. Some 1.7 trillion, that's trillion with a T, in federally-backed student loans have only greenlit inflated tuition and masked the contagion of political indoctrination and unbelievably watered-down courses. But gradually, imploding has now become suddenly. Zoom courses, declining student pool, soaring costs, all prompted the public to begin to question the whole college experience altogether. And I live in Southeast Asia. There's a different mindset here. I'm not going to say it's a cultural thing, because I don't think it's a culture thing. It's a mindset that you must have a college education. You must. If you don't, you're dog poop. You're nothing. You're worthless. It's not true, but that, I'm telling you that is, I've been here 20 over years now, and that is absolutely the mindset of Asian people, and I can speak specifically about Southeast Asia. It's wrong. Give me a good plumber or an electrician, truck driver, people with the dirt under the fingernails. Because those guys and gals work. You Lithuanian gender studies, college educated, how's your latest job? Hmm? Doing well? Yeah. Anyway, we need to get away from that whole idea that college is an absolute necessity because it absolutely is not. I've told this story before. I was in radio for 20 over years. I, at one, not only on the air, but I was also in management, hiring, program director, general manager. I was, for a time, in charge of hiring, firing, uh, DJs, announcers, radio announcers. You give me a guy with a master's, a doctorate in broadcast communications, and you give me a guy, and no experience on the air, and you give me a guy with a high school diploma, and he's been on the air for a few years, 
he's getting the job every single time. Every single time. Now, specific to radio, there is something about doing radio well that experience, doing it, is what matters. Not learning about it, doing it. That's what matters. College education has nothing to do with that career. This article goes on and on, talks about the downfall of uh, what is happening to our universities, and it is frightening. And it isn't going to get much better anytime soon. All right, we've got a couple of more topics here, and then we're going to uh, move on to our book. But I love this one because it talks in a way about exactly what I just said about the Malaysian mentality, the Southeast Asian mentality, and how the the culture is... This is, I think, a cultural thing. In Malaysia and many other Asian countries, when you have a baby, if you are a woman and you give birth, you get an unbelievable amount of time off from work. Paid. Maternity leave. Now, I'm talking about a month, two months, two months, imagine. Now, I make the joke because I'm American, so I will often say to folks here, you know, in America, a woman will go in in the morning and have a baby, and she sometimes will be back to work that afternoon. Now, okay, that's exaggeration to make a point, but... It ain't that far from the truth. In fact, I would guess in a few cases, it's probably happened. Women will take some days, maybe a week, and then they will work their way back to, I mean, maternity leave, I don't even know if there's an official amount. It might vary by company in the U.S. I have no idea. But here, it's a federal law how much maternity leave you get. And currently... They get 60 days, two months, and I'm not done. Not only do you get 60 days, but here in Malaysia and across Southeast Asia and Asia, you have, uh, I don't know if it's called a midwife, but you have someone who comes in and who takes care of the baby, takes care of your housework, not the husband. This is somebody who's hired to do this for all the time that you're on maternity leave. You are pampered. I know there's American women going, hey, what the hell's wrong with us, right? Uh, They cook, they clean, take care of the baby. They do everything the mother would do. So she doesn't have to do squat, sit around and and look good. And then, of course, there's this uh, belief and I think this may be based partly in science, but it is a custom that the foods that you eat, because when you have a baby, obviously it is an unbelievably painful and physically taxing thing to do. Any woman who's been through childbirth would know. I haven't. I don't know. I've been told, and I believe. So because of this tax on your energy, your body, They believe that certain foods, soups, things like that, fruits, vegetables, 
can help to replenish what you lose. That's fine, no harm done, whatever, if you want to believe it or you don't want to believe it. You know, people absolutely think it's the gospel written in stone. And knock yourself out, you do you. But this idea, this is from the world of buzz.com. I said 60 days, right? Well, starting right now, you get 98 days. Are you freaking kidding me? They've just increased it. 98 days. Almost 100 days over three months of maternity leave. You're entitled to. Start at January 1st. Giving birth to a child, definitely one of the most painful experiences, says the article on World of Buzz. Links in our show notes. Check it out. A woman would go through, and that being said, after giving birth, mothers would be given time off to rest and recuperate while getting used to taking care of a newborn. Prior to this, the original maternity leave set at 60 days. They've just amended it. It went into effect a couple days ago, two days ago, in fact, 1st of January, and it's increased to 98 days. This is insane. Uh, It is said the new announcement uh, commencing this month It may sound like a dream to some, but it's created a lot of worries for Malaysians. Following that, many netizens have commented on the issue, and here's what some of them said. 90 days shouldn't be opposed because it's a benefit that the previous government has set, but perhaps make an amendment that they only give the 98-day maternity leave to mothers who are giving birth to their first child. I think 60 days after that is enough. Uh, Somebody else said 98 days of maternity leave is indicating that the government is trying to encourage families to have more kids. Well, if that ain't the truth. If that's the case, it seems like many employers would face headaches if their employees would want to have kids more often. I mean, think about it. You pump out a puppy, you get 100 days. Let's just make it a rounded up to an even 100. Okay. But within a very short amount of time, you could get pregnant again. So then nine months later, not even a year's up yet, you pump out puppy number two, and you got another 100 days. Why am I falling into a southern accent? I don't know. (laughs) This could turn into quite a racket. Not to mention, if I'm running a company and my employees are taking 100 days off every however many months, Yeah, the only reason Singapore and Europe would implement such measures is because their birth rate is worrying, said another netizen. You think 98 days of maternity leave is a good idea for our country? Let us know in the comments. There you go. World of Buzz. Check it out. 60 days. Like I said, in America, occasionally a woman will have a baby in the morning and she's back at the office in the afternoon. And she doesn't have some nursemaid making leaf soup and herbal powders and cleaning the house for her. Look, I, you know, more power to you. You do you. But it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I do try and keep up as much as I can, but there are some times when... Uh, <laughs> I just got to shake my head. Fortunately, 
I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Oh, my. All right. We got one more. I'm going to get onto our book. <laughs> Christmas is over. New Year is over. And Chinese New Year is coming up. In America, that's not that big of a deal, except in certain areas. But here it's a huge deal. The next big holiday, probably for you Americans, would be Easter. Easter is my favorite holiday for one reason. Ah, correction, two reasons. And here's one of them. <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast, I am showing the audience on our live video feed a picture of Peeps. Peeps are a Easter treat that are, they come in yellow and pink. They are this pure 1000% sugar concoction. You got to know what Peeps are. They're shaped like little baby chicks and they're made out of marshmallow coated in, which is already all sugar, coated in sugar with some sort of God knows what cancer-causing food coloring crap. No, I'm kidding. It's obviously safe. But they are they are a diabetic's nightmare, and they are Jay Sheldon's dream. I love peeps. Now, I've looked around. Like I said, I've lived here for over 20 years now. They never have peeps. They have marshmallows, but they don't have peeps. I'm very disappointed in you. But they do have something else that is my number one. More than Peeps. Peeps is number two. Number one, you know what I'm going to say. Cadbury cream eggs. Oh, Cadbury cream eggs are to die for. The absolute best. Unbelievable. And they have them here in Malaysia. In fact, I just saw them. They put some out on the shelves already. So yeah, Cadbury cream eggs are out there. They're delicious. They're horribly bad for you. And I eat as many of them as often as I can. They aren't cheap, by the way, because they're imported, the ones here, I believe. And they're priced that way. They're unbelievably good. So you want to do me a big favor for the holidays? You want to send me something? Peeps and Cadbury cream eggs. And life will be fine. I will have no complaints. Oh, man. All right. It is time for us to move on to our book. If you didn't know, we read books on this show. And uh, We've done so many fantastic, amazing classics. The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, The Little Prince. You name it. We did The Jungle Book. And um, we started White Fang a little while ago. This is a classic. What a great story. And uh, when we last left off, Bill had gone after the pack with the gun, only three rounds. And uh, he heard all three 
rounds get fired off. We're going to continue the story. The snarls ceased, the yelping died away, and silence again settled over the lonely land. Let's do this. We'll switch over there. We'll pop up the book cover. There you go. He sat for a long while on the sled. There was no need for... No need for him to go and see what happened. He knew it as though it had taken place before his very eyes. Once he roused with a start, hastily got the axe out from underneath the lashings. But for some time longer, he sat and brooded. The two remaining dogs crouched and trembled at his feet. At last he arose in a weary manner, as though all the resilience had gone out of his body, proceeded to fashion the dogs to the sled. He passed a rope over his shoulder, a man trace, and pulled with the dogs. He didn't go far. At the first hint of darkness, he hastened to make a camp. He saw to it that he had a generous supply of firewood, fed the dogs, cooked, ate his supper, and made his bed close to the fire. But he wasn't destined to enjoy that bed. Before his eyes closed, the wolves had drawn too near for safety. It no longer required an effort of the vision to see them. They were all about him and the fire in a narrow circle. He could see them plainly as the firelight dying down, sitting up, crawling forward on their bellies or slinking back and forth. They even slept. Here and there he could see one curled up in the snow like a dog, taking the sleep that was now denied himself. He kept the fire brightly blazing, for he knew that it alone intervened between the flesh of his body and their hungry fangs. His two dogs stayed close to him, one on either side, leaning against him for protection, crying, whimpering, and at times snarling desperately when a wolf approached a little closer than usual. At such moments, when his dogs snarled, the whole circle would be agitated, the wolves coming to their feet, pressing tentatively forward, a chorus of snarls and eager yelps raised about him. And then the circle would lie down again, and here and there a wolf would resume his broken nap. But this circle had a continuous tendency to draw in upon him. Bit by bit, an inch at a time, with here a wolf bellying forward and there a wolf bellying forward, the circle would narrow until the brutes were almost within springing distance. And then he would seize brands from the fire and hurl them into the pack. A hasty drawing back always resulted accompanied by angry yelps and frightened snarls when a well-aimed brand stuck and scorched a too daring animal. Morning found the man haggard and worn, wide-eyed from want of sleep. He cooked breakfast in the darkness at nine o'clock, when with the coming of daylight the wolf pack drew back and set about the task he'd planned through the long hours of the night. Chopping down young saplings, he made them crossbars of a scaffold by lashing them high up to the trunks of the standing trees, and using the sled lashing for a heaving rope, with the aid of the dogs, he hoisted the coffin up to the top of the scaffold. They got Bill, and they may get me, 
But they'll sure never get you, young man, he said, addressing the dead body and the tree specter. And then he took to the trail, the lightened sled bounding along beneath the willing dogs, for they too knew that safety lay opening in the gain of Fort McGurry. The wolves were now more open in their pursuit, trotting sedately behind, ranging along on either side, their red tongues lolling out, their lean sides showing the undulating ribs with every movement. They were very lean, mere skin bags stretched over bony frames with strings for muscles. So lean Henry found it in his mind to marvel that they still kept their feet and didn't collapse forthright in the snow. He didn't dare travel until dark. At midday, not only did the sun warm the southern horizon, but it even thrust its upper rim pale and golden above the skyline. He received it as a sign. The days were growing longer. The sun was returning. But scarcely had the cheer of his light departed. Then he went into camp. There were still several hours of gray daylight and somber twilight, and he utilized them in chopping an enormous supply of firewood. When night came, horror. Not only were the starving wolves growing bolder, but lack of sleep was telling upon Henry. He dozed despite himself, crouching by the fire, the blankets about his shoulders, the axe between his knees, and on either side a dog pressing close against him. He awoke once, and saw in front of him, not a dozen feet away, a big gray wolf, one of the largest of the pack. And even as he looked, the brute deliberately stretched himself after the manner of a lazy dog, yawning full in his face, and looking upon him with a possessive eye, as if, in truth, he were merely a delayed meal that was soon to be eaten. This certitude was shown by a whole pack, fully a score he could count, staring hungrily at him or calmly sleeping in the snow. They reminded him of children gathered around a spread table awaiting permission to begin to eat. And he was the food they were about to eat. He wondered how and when the meal would begin. As he piled wood on the fire, he discovered an appreciation of his own body, which he'd never felt before. He watched his moving muscles and was interested in the cunning mechanism of his fingers. By the light of the fire, he crooked his fingers slowly and repeated now one at a time, now all together, spreading them wide, making quick gripping movements. He studied the nail formation, prodding the fingertips now sharply and again softly, gauging the whole, the nervous system. It fascinated him. He grew suddenly fond of this subtle flesh of his that worked so beautifully and smoothly and delicately. And then he'd cast a glance of fear at the wolf circle, drawn expectantly around him. Like a blow, the realization would strike him that this wonderful body of his, this living flesh, was no more than so much meat, a quest of ravenous animals to be torn slashed by their hungry fangs to be sustenance to them as the moose the rabbit had often been sustenance to him he came out of a doze that was a half nightmare to see the red-hued she-wolf before him 
She was not more than half a dozen feet away, sitting in the snow, wistfully regarding him. The two dogs were whimpering and snarling at his feet, but she took no notice of them. She was looking at the man, and for some time he returned her look. There was nothing threatening about her. She looked at him merely with a great wistfulness. But he knew it was to be the wistfulness of an equally great hunger. He was the food. The sight of him excited in her gustatory sensations. Her mouth opened, the saliva drooled forth, and she licked her chops with the pleasure of anticipation. A spasm of fear went through him. He reached hastily for a brand to throw at her, but even as he reached and before his fingers had closed on the missile, she sprang back into safety. He knew she was used to having things thrown at her. She'd snarled as she sprang away, burying her white fangs to their roots, all her wistfulness vanishing, being replaced by a carnivorous malignity that made him shudder. He glanced at the hand that held the brand, noticed the cunning delicacy of the fingers that gripped it, how they adjusted themselves to all the inequities of the surface, curling over and under and about the rough wood. And one little finger, too close to the burning portion of the brand, sensitively and automatically writhing back from the hurtful heat to a cooler gripping place, and in the same instant he seemed to see a vision those same sensitive, delicate fingers being crushed and torn by the white teeth of the she-wolf. Never had he been so fond of his body, and now when his tenure of it was so precarious. All night, with burning brands, he fought off the hungry pack. When he dozed, despite himself, the whimpering and snarling of the dogs aroused him. Morning came, but for the first time the light of day failed to scatter the wolves. The man waited in vain for them to go. They remained in a circle about him and his fire, displaying an arrogance of possession that shook his courage, born of the morning light. He made one desperate attempt to pull out on the trail, but the moment he left the protection of the fire, the boldest wolf leaped for him, but leaped short. He saved himself by springing back, the jaw snapping together a scant six inches from his thigh. The rest of the pack was now up and surging upon him. For the throwing of firebrands right and left was necessary to drive them back a respectful distance. Even in the daylight, he didn't dare leave the fire to chop fresh wood. Twenty feet away towered a huge dead spruce. Any moment... A half-dozen burning faggots ready at hand to fling at his enemies. Once at the tree, he studied the surrounding forest in order to fell the tree in the direction of the most firewood. The night was a, reputation, a repetition of the night before, save their need for sleep was becoming overpowering. The snarling of the dogs was losing its efficacy. Besides, they were snarling all the time and his benumbed and drowsy senses no longer took note of changing pitch and insensitivity. He awoke with a start, the she-wolf less than a yard from him. Mechanically, at short range, without letting go of it, he thrust a brand full into her open and snarling mouth. She sprang away, yelled with pain, 
and while he took delight in the smell of burning flesh and hair, he watched her shaking her head and growing wrathfully a score of feet away. By this time, before he dozed again, he tied a burning pine knot to his right hand. His eyes were closed, but few minutes when the burn of the flame on his flesh awakened him. For several hours he adhered to this program. Every time he was thus awakened, he drove back the wolves with flying brands, replenished the fire, and rearranged the pine knot at his hand. All worked well, but there came a time when he fastened the pine knot insecurely, and as his eyes closed, it fell away from his hand, and he dreamed. And that's where we're going to leave it for tonight. Wow. This is a long chapter. We'll be breaking it up. I think we'll probably be able to wrap it up again on our uh, on our next show. Dang exciting, huh? <laughs> all right. Uh, that is going to do it for us. We are all done for this uh, Monday night. Public holiday again here in Malaysia because uh, New Year's Day fell on a Sunday, so we all got the day off today. We're back to work tomorrow, and I will be back here on... Uh, Wednesday night. We'll continue with White Fang. We'll have a few more things to talk about. And uh, yeah, thank you for popping by. Thanks for your likes and subscribes and follows. Really appreciate it. It helps the show out a lot and it's free for you. I'll see you again Wednesday. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Ha, ha, ha.